Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast. I am your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. This show is an exploration of the problems and solutions, ideas and concepts, growth and development, nuance and complexity behind emerging market startup ecosystems. Each season, I share unique conversations filled with stories from early stage founders, ecosystem builders, investors, and innovators from the front lines of global change and innovation. You will gain fresh perspective and insights, as well as learn from those on the ground who are creating the shifts and driving the action. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast is a part of the Rare Birds family of podcasts. You can find all our podcasts, TV, magazine, and additional resources by visiting our platform at www.rarebirdshq.com. The Rare Birds platform is on a mission to share the ingenuity occurring across emerging markets, one story at a time. We're here to help you as you journey along the ever-changing environment in emerging markets. We're not in the Rwanda kind of where, you know, the, everything has ended and, you know, you are, you're moving to places. Somalia is still in the transition from a failed state to a proper government. Even though the small brands will never compete in price, what we've been seeing is that uh, they can compete on, on story. And for us, what we do, we're storytellers. You know, it's also the kind of tea that you're making and the kind of name that you've kind of created in the market uh, which is uh, which you kind of value with all your heart and soul you just say you know let's change africa or a solution for africa or, or something like that because i'm um, it's really just just dopamine driven conversations uh, mm-hmm. it just doesn't really make sense to talk about a solution for africa because africa, africa is not really there is no one solution that works for us right now um we believe that the robotic arm especially is the type of robot that can help solve many problems, not only in one sector, but in different sectors around the continent at the same time. It can be a big problem for the market. And sometimes in these markets too, you know, scaling doesn't happen overnight. It takes, you don't build an application over a year or two, you are scaled to like maybe a, a 600,000 or 1 million customers. It doesn't happen that way. It really takes a while. People are people really are carefully spending their the few dollars they have. Greetings, apples, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast. All right. So, hi, Joanne. Thank you so much. It's it's a privilege to be here in your uh, podcast. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me over here. It's it's really a great thing to be here today. Lovely. So excited to have you and really, really looking forward to diving into your startup. It's really, really cool. So before we start, Apples, tell us all about you. Who is Apples and your background story? Yeah, so I was born uh, in the province. So provinces, we have so many provinces here in the Philippines, but particularly I am from uh, Iloilo province and Samar province. So uh, half of my life, I've spent my um, my life, my childhood, and even until I become a young adult in those provinces. And at the same time, um, I have my younger sister and my mom with me. 
and uh, those places that I grew up with is actually more on the agricultural side because uh, in my family's side, we have both uh, our own uh, coconut plantations and at the same time, mango plantations. So um, growing up, uh, growing up rather, I actually um, experienced many things related to agriculture and nature. So I, I could say that I am a proud uh, farmer a woman farmer from these places. Excellent. I love that. So you come from a farming background. You grew, you grew up, um, you set a coconut farm, right? Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. What was that like? What was it like growing up on a farm? Tell us what that was, what was that was like? Yeah, well, originally I wasn't really born from the actual province, but from the, the capital city, which is Manila, I was brought to the province by my parents. And then from that day onwards, I was able to experience the farm life, which is very, very different from the urban life that uh, I've, I've been uh, with or I, I grew up with uh, before that or um, years before that. So, of course, at first, it, it was very uh, difficult for me to live in such place like countryside because I'm not used to it. So, uh, but then again, uh, over... Uh, over time, I was able to learn and uh, I was able to deal uh, with people, particularly farmers, because uh, when you go to these places, uh, the people you meet are mostly farmers aging. Uh, their ages uh, are about from, let's say, uh, mid-40s to uh, until 70s. So uh, these people are always uh, in the mountains or in the farms, in the fields. Um, uh, doing planting and uh, basically anything that a farmer does in, in a whole day. So uh, at first it was very new to me. Uh, it was all Greek to me. And, and I thought, I don't like to touch a soil. I don't like to touch dirt. But over time, I was able to understand um, why these people are here. And eventually it's it's become, it's a big part, a huge part of uh, our daily survival, you know, because food, yeah, we need food uh, wherever we are, wherever we are at from the West, the East or everywhere. We really need food all the time. And where do we get these food? So, of course, from the farmers, from the fields, from the land. Yeah, it's interesting that you you say that, Apples, because I had another female founder on the podcast who is um, Ghanaian and German. And we had the same conversation about when you if you don't grow up in um in an environment where let's say you you grew up like say for example in manila an urban environment big city environment right anywhere in the world you can be so disconnected from where your food comes from to a point where you either get your food delivered or you you go into a grocery store and you just see food and you and you're so disconnected from it so it's interesting you say that you know at some point you realize wait a minute this was all grown someplace and we all need food <laughs> we all need to eat right, right? <laughs> exactly yeah so those realizations came when i was about let's say around high school um, i was in high school already when we were talking one time in our uh, subject when it comes to, um, we call it the technology and livelihood education. So it's actually a common subject in the schools here in the Philippines. So it actually focuses more on like agriculture, planting, making food and so on. And so uh, our our teacher during that time was discussing all about it. Where the food, com- where are the foods coming from? And then of course me coming from uh, the capital city, Manila. And I, I thought before that when I was younger that, 
the food just comes from the restaurants. <laughs> That's it. And I'm not even aware uh, before going or coming before the foods come to the restaurants. So where do they really come from? <laughs> the the original source. So uh, it was uh, an eye opener to me uh, during those times that I've learned these things. Uh, they were really new to me, and eventually I get to love it and embrace it because uh, we have a farmland, and I get to always. Um, encounter people, farmers, every day in my life, uh, giving me food, fruits, which is really cool, actually, because in, in a close-knitted community like that, uh, people are really kind and nurturing uh, towards anyone. They, they don't discriminate. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, they can always uh, offer any kind of food for you, as long as you're, you know, you're, you're not that... Um, shy <laughs> to approach them but really uh i've experienced that kind of uh, beauty the the attitude the kindness and all yeah right you know that's that's interesting um particularly what you said about this class is that you said this is a mandatory class that every student in the philippines has to take yeah but over the years it has changed basically so especially um when the department of education adopted a new kind of course or uh, a different kind of education but uh when i was uh, young when i was uh, during my time it was really a mandatory subject so everyone in the province should um should have a garden or like a mini garden so that uh it's actually uh the one that the teacher will uh to, to which the teacher will give a grade. And uh, if you don't have that, then of course you will not get any grade at all. So yeah, so it's actually kind of mand mandatory during my time. Wow, that is very, very progressive. Really, really, really interesting. Would you mind giving us an overview, just a general overview of the agro sector in the Philippines? Like yeah, what, sure. like, and also I'm really curious about, for example, how big is the sector? Uh, what percentage of people are working in this sector? You know, like, is it a huge percent of, of GDP? I mean, I, I don't know if you have these numbers off the top of your head, but it's just, you know, I'm just curious about that. But as well as a general overview, that would be really helpful for us. Yeah. So as you know, uh, the Philippines is uh, an agricultural country because most of its lands are definitely for for growing crops, plants that we actually both uh, export and also consume at the same time by the, by the population of the Philippines. And uh, however, all throughout the years, well, way, way back before years ago, uh, our agricultural sector was really rich, okay? And at the same time, even countries like Vietnam, um, Thailand, Indonesia, or the rest of the Southeast Asian countries, our neighboring countries, were actually the ones uh, coming to our country just to study about uh, technology or improvement when it comes to, let's say, uh, uh, planting rice or planting uh, crops and uh, all the technology that are uh, related to it. So they, they really came to our country just to study that. However, fast forward to today's time, uh, it's actually becoming, you know, um, not similar to the, the way it was before. Uh, we were known to be an agricultural economy, but right now it's actually declining, which is really sad. Because um, right now with the, the advent of the technology, I mean, there's nothing wrong with technology, but at the same time, um, uh, it was actually neglected and uh, nothing has changed uh, after that. 
So when it comes to farmers, when you ask about farmers uh, among people here in the Philippines, uh, the, the one thing that come, uh, come to their mind is actually poor, the word poor. So when you say I'm a farmer here in the Philippines, people will uh, tag you or label you as a poor person because of what is really happening. You know, uh, no, uh, th there is less uh, salary that they receive from monthly or even yearly and even uh, no benefits at all. Uh, and at the same time, they are the ones um, uh, spending much money when it comes to, let's say, uh, let's say um, fertilizer, seeds, and all. Although our, um, well, although some of the organizations here in the Philippines or our government is really keen on uh, focusing on, on these farmers, but somehow uh, still it doesn't really make any change at all. And that's why um, startups in the Philippines, especially uh, those coming from the, the agri-sector or the agri-tech startups, uh, th these uh, people or these leaders are actually uh, starting this revolutionary uh, thing regarding or highlighting agriculture because we all know that, yeah, like the one I said earlier, we are originally an agricultural economy and that's the one that actually uh, saves our country overall, GDP. So uh, when it comes to GDP, um, I guess I I'm not really uh, keen, I mean, exactly know the number, but it's actually uh, reaching uh, trillions, billions or trillions uh, of dollars in, in the Philippines. So that's actually part of our GDP, our uh, gross domestic product. Uh, and also it's more on the exports. We are more on the exporting of fruits like mangoes, uh, coconuts as well included, and all the other um, fruits that are normally or annually exported to countries like China and all across, uh, across the world. So that's uh, what makes uh, the Philippines grow economically. But uh, if you try to look at the, let's say, for example, the division, how it is divided among different industries, you can see that agriculture doesn't really reach like 100% or even, let's say, 50% at all. So that's uh, the, the sad part right now with what's happening in, in a nutshell here in the Philippines. But, yeah, uh, I think I think right now the Philippines is is the majority of the, the the GDP in terms of sectors. It's service sector, right? Mostly services. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So mm. that includes our OFWs or overseas Filipino workers and even our hospitality industry, the tourism. So that's the number one industry here. Right. So you talk a lot about people associate agriculture with poverty. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think, you know, agriculture isn't sexy, right? Nobody wants to work in agriculture. And but I think that's changing now. And you mentioned technology. I think now that we have more technology that we can use in agro as well. But I mean, also the, yes. the mindsets too, you know, um, apples is changing. I think people, especially younger generations, there's a sustainability movement, people coming right. a bit more conscious of, of their mm -hmm. food and what they eat and right. so on and so forth. So I don't know if that shift is happening there, but yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from in terms of people relating agro to, okay, you're, you're a poor farmer kind mm -hmm. of narrative yeah yeah that's right i uh, actually you're correct on that one right um uh when it comes to agri sector well it's becoming popular once again uh so far but uh if, if you try to join let's say for example 
a a conference regarding startups here in the Philippines, or let's say agri-tech or tech startups or tech-based startups, it's actually, you can see agriculture as like, let's say, for example, I remember when, when I joined a certain event last year, um, we, we call it the Philippine Startup uh, Forum or week. So it's just a week of uh, just discussing about the different Philippine startups and the, the newcomers, the new startups. So when I tried uh, checking who are these people uh, who are starting um, or who are into agri-startup, and then I, I just saw like, uh, yeah, a couple of them, including me. So I, I think there were just around uh, four or five <laughs> agri-startups. And I thought, okay, so it's, it's not really that uh, popular right now. But the good thing of the uh, about these other agri startups that I talked with and I encountered, uh, I, I encountered is is that they're they're more focused on the logistics side, you know, uh, um, paving the way for the farmers to uh, deliver their food or their produce from the farm to the city. So, which is actually a good thing. But I rarely see. Uh, start agri startups that focus on let's say for example applying technology plus agriculture that is wherein the farmer and the consumer is involved yeah definitely uh, these uh, startups are focusing on the application phone app uh, delivery quick delivery of these produce but um, I think I just I just have a really different thing in my mind that I'm really looking forward to. But maybe I can uh, discuss it um, more later, uh, depending yeah. uh, as as we go along. Yeah, definitely. And I, I understand what you mean because I I have to say uh, my observations are quite similar to yours. You know, having just doing this podcast and in you know talking to lots of founders from different parts of the world. There's definitely like fintech is where everybody is. <laughs> Everybody's in fintech. So, and then outside of fintech, you have a few people in like travel. And then there's a few people in beauty. And there's all these other, oh, of course, delivery. That is big, you know, and, you know, the super app, logistics, transportation, right? And then there's all these other sectors that you don't really hear people working in. I mean, and then you start digging and you dig and you dig and you dig and then you learn, oh, here's this one lady who's selling this agricultural product and here's this guy who's working. Oh, I think health tech is becoming popular as well, especially yes. since COVID. But I, I, I think what we both have observed is that there's a concentration in very niche yeah. areas and a lot of other areas seem to be neglected. And I've been trying to think this through my mind, right? And I guess yeah. it's because in emerging markets, in developing countries, you have certain areas that are very critical, you know, like massively unbanked people, right. underbanked people. So I guess fintech is always going to get a lot of attention because you have a lot of poor people in these parts of the world that are completely outside of the financial system, right? And exactly. I guess, and then lo logistics is a part of infrastructure, which is so key to development in a country. And I, so it's, it's and then there's health, which is majorly important as well. So I guess yes. it's kind of like the pillars of the society that, you know, that's where the startups are focused on first. And then all the other things, I guess, come after because maybe they're seen as a luxury or they're too niche or only a certain aspect of the population can, you know, afford that. But agro is so key 
It's so yeah. key as well as manufacturing and these key areas. But those areas from, again, my observations in emerging markets always tend to be, mm. um, have a few sort of key families, old families or old stalwarts industries that have been around for 40, 50 years, or maybe since independence or something. And they're yeah. the ones in those fields. But startups penetrating that maybe because it's capital intensive or what have you mm. they just don't seem to be in those areas i don't know if you if you agree with that but i i think about that a lot myself what you said oh uh, yeah uh, yeah actually uh i do agree with you with, with what you said as well because um definitely right now uh for example in our in our case here in the philippines uh well not all people have bank accounts so of course fintech is uh, there to to be the hero to to the rescue, right? To, so that's why right now we have um, uh, countless apps about transferring money, and I, I think that's actually good, it, definitely uh, useful, uh, especially right now. How uh, I can see people even from those uh, places, even farmers using uh, particular uh, fintech apps that uh, or or these kinds of apps that are really easier for them to send money to their families way back home or even to some other people or even just buy anything and as, as for the others well uh well re regarding i remember what you said earlier regarding the funding well yeah probably because um compared to other uh, industries it's actually easier to re really fund these uh other industries well compared to agri i, I would definitely understand that one yeah actually that's true because uh, when it comes to agri, you really have to niche down to which particular, because there's so many things in agri, like there is fisheries, there is rice, there is coconut only, there is only for um, uh, for plants and botanical plants and, and so on. So uh, it's like when it comes to this kind of industry, we have to niche down. You have to specialize on what particular um, part of agricultural industry are you in, because you, you really cannot... I mean, you really cannot um, get all of them because it's really going to um, take so much funding, uh, budget, and all for that one. And definitely the the effort. <laughs> that, that it's so, and it's so done. capital intensive, right? Exactly. And there's so that the competition is heavy. I mean, how are you going right. to compete with, you know, one or two families, for example, that's been dominating this market for 60 years? Unless you can right. come in with something unique or different, or you focus on another aspect of the supply chain. Like maybe you don't grow mangoes, but you get those mangoes and you create a byproduct of those mangoes that you can then right. sell. You know, like you have to be really sort of, it's just like manufacturing. Awesome, yeah. wonderful, but that's capital intensive. And, you know, unless you right. have the funding, how are you going to start a, you know, business in manufacturing mm -hmm. unless it's tech manufacturing? So I try to think of it, you know, in, in the bigger picture, but I think, it, you know, more and more, I think now with more tech, which is, it's always easy to get in, into tech and to make anything tech as well. I think maybe we'll see uh -huh. more changes there. And I also think we will start, I have been seeing a lot more women like yourself involved in agro startups and doing so many amazing things. I mean, it's tough, it's hard, again, capital yeah. intensive, but I see a lot of women working in agro in different parts of the world, in Latin America, in Africa, in Southeast right. Asia, and they've made inroads and they're getting funding and they're doing amazing uh -huh. things. So it's yeah. happening. It's just a matter of finding these people 
and exactly. just um yeah i mean it's it, i think and also you know you need more success stories and then you know someone like yourself you become successful then you open doors for other people to 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 create their startups as well so yeah that's right okay so let's jump into your startup so tell us what's the story what's the story behind your farm all right so uh for uh our startup, uh, it's it's called the Hidden Mana Farms, uh, and uh, well, uh, from from the very beginning, I was actually thinking of a different name, but this is the one that really uh, sticks into my mind, and so I I thought, okay, I would continue with this one. Well, originally, I thought I would be just like other uh, startups uh, that are focused on the. Uh, the upland vegetables, for example, more on the fruits or more on the vegetables, which is actually very uh, common uh, here in the Philippines among other founders. But now uh, I, I, I tried to rethink about it. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. I am from a family with a coconut land and mango land and uh, mango farm. Why don't I focus on it? So uh, countless times, I, I changed the business model, the focus of this, until I uh, reached the, the final moment, momentum or the final decision that, okay, I will focus on uh, these high-value crops like coconut and mango, or mangoes. So uh, why high-value? Because uh, right now, w when it comes to coconuts, if you, if you try to look at the numbers, um, and and uh, the need for this one uh, all across the world is actually needed uh, because coconuts is actually not just a fruit itself, but it can be used in different industries as well. So, for example, you can, uh, let's say, use it in cosmetics, all right, um, in, in biodiesel, uh, also even uh, part of manufacturing, value adding, um, and, and so on. So, these are the things that uh, what coconut can do and so i thought oh actually this one has actually a wide uh, a wide um scheme or a wide uh has a great uh potential to to reach not just within our country but actually uh across the world so uh those things that i mentioned earlier from health and wellness to housing uh, everything and then at the same time uh mangoes on the other hand it's because i, I came from uh, from a province that is rich in, you know, the soil, the soil there is only for planting mangoes. You cannot plant any other uh, variety of mangoes, but it's only focused on the specific mango or type of mango that we can, we can plant. So uh, at the same time, the mangoes that are exported from that area, from my area, is only exclusively exported to USA and actually officially used by the United States White House and the Buckingham Palace. So that's why uh, they the, the, par the farmers there are really taking pride on, uh, of it, on it. So yeah, uh, going back, so uh, Hidden Mana Farms, uh, just a quick fact, uh, series of facts here. So there are 69 out of 82 provinces in the Philippines that are coconut producing provinces. And there are 3.6 million hectares of land planted with coconut trees. And there are a total of 2.5 million coconut farmers. So basically, uh, yeah, there's so much farmer, so many farmers in, in the Philippines, but nine out of 10 farmers live below poverty line. So that's the, that's the sad part about it. 
uh, yeah, like what I mentioned earlier, it covers cosmetics, confectionery, manufacturing, biodiesel, housing, health and wellness. It's an all-around product, basically, aside from just the fruit that we, you know, uh, get from the beach or uh, sip while we are relaxing in the beach. So that's uh, the, the main point of it. Now, um, going back to my story, if you can remember earlier that I grew up in those places, uh, in those provinces, and these are not just ordinary provinces, but these are actually places that are identified as geographically isolated and disadvantaged areas. Now, when we say Jida, or the one I mentioned, it means that that particular place is really out of bounds or out of logistics or out of the highway. Meaning to say these places cannot easily be reached through plane or through um, car or a truck, for example. So because it's because these places are living behind or in between valleys and mountains. And these are... Um, rural areas really rural of all rural areas as they say it and uh because my fam family is from there my, my um my uh grandparents are from there so I, I grew up there i experienced how it was really hard for farmers to sell their produce particularly for the coconut so um gr growing up i i've seen uh the hardships when it comes to uh, the farmers selling their produce, for example, the coconut meal, okay? So when you say coconut meal, uh, you get it from the mature coconut, you know, that the white part there, the white meat. So they get it all and then they cut it and then they uh, put it under the sun. And then after a few months of putting it under the sun, they put it in a sack and then they sell it. So uh, for, let's say, for example, for one kilo, uh, right now, uh, the ideal... Uh, price should be let's say uh 50 or 40 to 50 pesos per uh per kilo but in these places the one i mentioned the the rural areas it only reaches eight pesos five pesos and that's really way too low it's because of the logistics the lack of logistics and they're in the rural areas so the main problem here that i saw during those times is that number one there is actually a problematic multi-layered middleman system. So when we say multi-layered middleman system, let's say, for example, you're a farmer and you're selling your produce at this price. Now, there are a series of small stores, let's say, or middlemen who would offer you, okay, I will buy it for, uh, let's say, 10 pesos. That's very, uh, that's very uh, minimal. That's a very uh, small amount, actually, to be honest it won't actually make uh, the family eat for a month, to be honest. So uh, let's say there is um, a person saying, oh, I can buy it for 10 pesos per kilo. And then, of course, the farmer doesn't know about the pricing, doesn't really have any idea how much is the, the actual pricing of that. And so they have no choice but to give this to that particular middleman. And then this middleman will go to another middleman and then sell it for a higher price. So, okay, I'm going to sell this to you at 25 pesos. Okay, and then that uh, second middleman will accept it. And then the second middleman will send it or will uh, sell it rather to another middleman and sell it for, let's say, around uh, 30 pesos. So it gets higher and higher until they reach the, uh, the, the actual um, company 
let's say, for example, the miller, they call it the miller, and then uh, they're the ones buying it now at that exact price, that supposed price, like 50 pesos or 40 pesos. So who is the one gaining? And, and in that uh, scenario, of course, the middleman. So this is the number one problem that I've seen in my whole life, talking with farmers as well. Why are you still poor? Why uh, it, you've, been, you've been farming for 60 or let's say 16 years, but why you're still in the same position as you have now? And then they will say, I don't know, the price is just like that ever since I was born or ever since I, I became an adult. So isn't it so sad to think that it's been going on for years and nothing has changed? Now, that's the first problem, Joanne. Now, the second problem is, of course, the lack of product diversity. So, of course, because they are coming from the rural areas, these uh, rural provinces, and like what you mentioned earlier, uh, the funding is really difficult. I mean, when it comes to uh, putting uh, value on this one. And so what happens is that they just focus on one product, and that's the coconut meal, when in fact they can actually turn it into coconut sugar. They can manufacture it into uh, creating, uh, let's say, uh, other products that are made from coconut and so on. And of course, the third problem is the, the quality, or the, the quality itself. So they cannot sell it compared to big markets or big farmers because of the quality. You know, they need support when it comes to the proper care, proper nurturing, and so on. So those are the main problems, Joanne. And then uh, upon reaching those problems, up, upon thinking deeply up, uh, about those problems, particularly for coconuts, uh, I found my own solution uh, upon um, interview, countless interviews from farmers, um, trying to see what's happening around the globe when it comes to the coconuts, um, the selling of coconuts, the, the quality, our competitors like Vietnam and Indonesia and so on. So um, I thought that the solution for this one would be a fair contract farming. You know, one of the problems as well in the rural areas is that these people own big lands, let's say um, one hectare of farmland or two hectares of farmland, let's say. But in the Philippines, we consider that a smallholder. You're a smallholder farmer if you are under two hectares, if you own two, under two hectares of land, farmland. And so the tendency of these people, if they don't find any other alternative of earning money, they sell their land. Now, it's actually not good to sell your land because over time, you know, the... the uh, the value of land increases, and at the same time, it's it's coming from their um, their own grandparents. It's given to them as an heir, and you can't just give that away. You can just sell that away, but they have no choice. So that's the thing. Uh, that's also one of the problems. And so I thought, why not? There will be a contract farming. Well, actually, contract farming, as defined by FAO, right? I mean, it's it's been there. Uh, it's not a new thing, actually, but not too many people do that. I mean, not too many people are aware that there is actually a contract farming. Well, unless you are, let's say, for example, uh, the big companies like the Nestle uh, and others. So, um, so far from, uh, from my own uh, research, there is actually no startup, uh, based from what I've gathered, that really focuses on the contract farming. Although there are somehow some, some, uh, startup founders focusing on agri that uh, somehow doing similar to that one, but um, it's, it's a different thing. 
but I'm I'm not aware really exactly about what they did. But that's the first uh, solution that I thought. Uh, you don't need as a farmer, you don't need to sell your land. It's there. It's yours forever. Just uh, we just undergo a contract. We agree on a contract that you sell us your produce, sell to us your produce, and at the same time, uh, we're the only ones who can buy it. So it's like it's exclusivity. You know, it's more on that one. Uh, at the same time, once you become part of it, uh, you will be uh, given the exclusivity to uh, product, countless product training, support, education, and even the the knowledge about the the, the world market regarding uh, coconuts. So those things. So that's the second solution that I thought. And then the third one is technology. So I way back 2019. I started doing a prototype on a phone app that focuses on identifying those, let's say, problems in a plant uh, that the farmer can use so that when, let's say, for example, if, there's, if there is a problem occurring into a plant and then just, uh, um, just take a picture of it and then it is actually the app that will uh, determine and will tell you what to do. So this is the, the certain type of disease that you are encountering right now. And then the solution, the recommendations that you can do. So uh, I'm doing, uh, I started with that uh, prototype way back 2019. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, the, 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 uh, the bad side or not the bad side, but the, the problem about that one is that these farmers that we're targeting are actually, they did not, they did not, finish their education like uh, they, they only um, they, they only started or they only finished like around grade six elementary most of them actually you can find that uh, you can find that among rural areas that these people they only as long as they know how to read and write that's it they will not continue their studies anymore because they believe that once you get to read and write that's it that's the basic one so um, in, in in accordance with, in line with that um, I thought, how, were, how will these people uh, will get to use a phone app that they can just, you know, comfortably use? And so um, at the same time, uh, the area itself is, you know, you don't have any signal at all. No Wi-Fi, no internet, because they're an isolated area, but they need help. So I, I uh, me and my uh, friend, my co-founder, um, thought that we can still apply technology and we can help them learn technology um, without any other, you know, um, too complicated things to, to follow, to do. Just take a picture of it and that's it. And then uh, they will eventually know how to uh, take care of the plant, what are the recommendations and so on. So those are basically so far the things that um, uh, we, we've done in, in our uh, in our startup here at Hidden Mana Farms, and uh, yeah, basically that's it. And right now, um, for just to, to just to tell you, um, just to share with you, Joanne, uh, we have started with our first uh, project. So our first project is a certain area in the Visayas area, the Visayas region. It, it is actually one of the Jida identified as Jida or isolated area. And then this place doesn't have any uh, internet, Wi-Fi, and also uh, the, the, the problems that I mentioned earlier, they have those. 
And so I thought, okay, um, we will uh, use this as our case study and our primary project so that they will be the ones to get a hold of the app that we are using or that they, they need to use that will help them in, in, their, um, uh, in, in their produce, all right, in taking care of their produce. And so uh, we went there, 2020. Uh, I went back to my hometown and then went to this uh, particular place and then uh, talked with people there, uh, gathered some specific data, what do they need when it comes to their um, produce and so on. And then I uh, interviewed some, uh, some farmers particularly and asked them if they're willing to be part of this project. And then they were actually uh, very excited to be part of it. And then they said, uh, one thing they said is that uh, as long as it will make my children become better and, you know, have that good future in the future, why not, they said. And yeah, oh, well, anyway, um, talking to these people, they're, they're really, um, uh, how could I say, uh, they're, they're really, you can say that they're really in need of that. I mean, something new, because it's been like for a couple of years, century, uh, let's say decades that it's been like that. And they're, they're looking for something new. And so uh, that's why I'm really pushing for this. I'm really pushing for this kind of a project that uh, our farmers, our smallholder farmers will have the chance to touch technology and use it to their advantage. And at the same time, earning and assuring that they have a good future. I mean, yeah, we're, we're not really the same with other agri companies or agri startup, you know, garnering 20 million, 20 billion or up. And right now, everything from us is just bootstrapping. And me as the, the founder, I, I keep on joining, like, for example, Entrepreneurship World Cup, Philippines, uh, AgriBoost, countless of pitches that I do. But so far, so good. Um, there, are, there are some people who really... Uh, really talking to me like hey that your, your project your vision is really nice and I, and I really want to help you on that particular part so uh, definitely as, as, as a leader of this um, startup uh, I can visualize uh, how well it how well it's going to be in the future so um, right now yeah step by step uh, we're getting there and definitely talking with countless people to realize uh, completely all of these things and eventually we will um, soon on the side of the customer because uh, you know when it comes to the customer side they are always let's say for example people from consumers coming from the west they love to know where their food comes from right so what's the quality how it was planted were there was it um, organic and so on these data so um at the same time, me, um, I, I used to I used to work in a, in a corporate in one of the biggest corporations here in the Philippines handling on data, and I really appreciate the fact that I'm adding data on on this uh, particular um, app on the side of the consumers because, um, for example, uh, in our product there is a QR code. And when you scan that QR code, it takes you to a specific page, uh, basically our page website, wherein you can see uh, that particular product, how was it handled, when it was harvested, when it was transported, when it was uh, packed. So all these data, 
uh, in order to assure the the consumers that uh, don't worry your your products are actually well taken care of and they are not from uh, the the original um, planters of this one the farmers were actually given the right amount of money or the, the right amount to to buy it from them right the right price so it's not uh, because you know um with, with other companies we uh, there are some um there are some uh, side issues like uh, they they say that they are for the farmers but actually they aren't because you find out that these other farmers are these farmers that they are dealing with um they're not really getting much of the returns or the amount or the profit that they they should have so um more on the blockchain supply chain that's what we call it so we want in other words in general we want to attach technology into agriculture in such a way that both the user which are the farmers and the consumers which are the clients or the buyers will also benefit with each other and there is transparency in it so so we want that that's what i want to what i want to see that's what i realize so that's what my vision is all about and my goal so basically that's it joanne that was incredible <laughs> <laughs> i love listening to that you know um oh. so much to unpack but going back to the beginning you said i believe you said that your oranges the oranges that you have that you produce mangoes. there and mangoes are used in the white house and in buckingham palace is that what you yeah. said well mm -hmm. uh gimaras island gimaras island is the place of my father it's actually located in the visayas region so if you try to uh, search that later on maybe um okay. gimaras island is known is known as the mango capital of the philippines so yeah um when it comes to selling of the mangoes it's actually very hard to sell the those particular mangoes from gimaras island to the locals here in the philippines like metro manila or other cities because it's actually very expensive right and, uh to the point that uh our uh department of agriculture put up a bureau of mango industry specifically for that place because they want to preserve the quality of mangoes and yes that's right joan uh that particular place is the one uh exporting mangoes only uh, that is exclusively used by the white house and mm. buckingham palace so that's why interesting they, they really yes they really have the pride in there so yeah so for the americans and the brits listening in there you go your your royals <laughs> and your highest level ranking in government are eating mangoes from the philippines i mean exactly. it's i'm not surprised i mean uh, you know when you hear about you know certain oranges that come specifically from Morocco that are going into certain places in Italy and France. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. But I I didn't know there was like a designated area that you know yeah. where they specifically come from the Philippines. So that was that was good to know. And um, you know, when you were talking about the supply chain inefficiencies, these middlemen, <laughs> these intermediaries, yeah. I was nodding my head because wherever you go in the world, it's always the same thing: the middlemen, the middlemen, the middlemen. You know, and it's so hard to to cut out the middlemen. But technology is doing that now, so. Yes. technology is enabling that and then you mentioned that 
these farmers tend to only, they don't diversify. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you said, for example, if they grow coconuts, that's it, yeah. coconuts. They don't think about the byproduct of the coconut. So they don't think, okay, we can make oil or we can, um, you know, make other, like you talked about using it as diesel or so on. But do you think it's that they don't think about it or they don't have the resources to actually create those byproducts? Or is well, it both? Actually, yeah, well, actually both, yes. Yeah. Because some of the farmers there, um, you know, going back to the training, supposedly, if, if only they know all the all the other byproducts of coconut, it's not just in the coconut meal. And although they know actually about uh, coconut oil, which is also one of the products of coconut because they do it manually there. Mm. But uh, at the same time, the, the resources in manufacturing these other byproducts is lacking. So... Yeah, exactly. They really need um, someone who will support them on that one and at the same time uh, train them Yeah. Uh, on, on how to um, specialize on these other byproducts, not just focus on one product. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned these are people in rural areas who have a very big uh, access to basic education. So they're poor and they don't have the, the funding, the resources or the education mm -hmm. to really understand, okay, yeah. Obviously, they know the world is changing, but they don't know how to adapt to that change. They don't have the means, so they, they need the education. So that's exactly. where you're coming in. Now, I would love for you to expand on this concept that you mentioned of contract farming. Can you break yeah. that down for us, please? And I think you mentioned very few startups are doing contract farming. Is that what you said? Yes, exactly. Okay. So... Yeah, it's it's one for Hidden Mana Farms for my team. This is one of the solutions that we are offering. Uh, the what we call the ethical and fair contract farming. Um, this is actually coming from or based from the FAO. Okay. So yeah, uh, basically they they started this one. However, not all people know about this, especially the agri people. Or let's say uh, big corporations know about this, but specifically on the contract, I'm not sure what is stipulated in the contract. But supposedly in the contract, it should be you know as much as possible. Uh, the benefit is on the side of the of the farmers. So I only uh, there is actually very few or even none uh, who really apply this the, the contract farming because the the ones I know uh, those are those other founders in Agri that I encountered they are more uh, focused on yeah they have their own contract but uh, it is more focused on logistics and mm. also like for example um, uh, let's say for example um, how many uh, how many kilograms or, or you know, the amount of their harvest and all and then that's it and then there's a fixed amount so uh in this case uh the the difference on on this uh farm farming contract that we have here at hidden mana farms so it, it's it's transparent everything is transparent so uh this transparency basically in in other words so they will uh, get to know and understand in depth what the contract is all about. Uh, for example, let's say um, if you get to agree with us to sell your produce or coconuts to us, yeah, let's say we, we're going to fix uh, a five-year contract or let's say three-year contract initially. And then all of the produce, all of your produce will be taken care of by us from the taking 
from the nurturing to the let's say for example the application of organic fertilizer to uh the the application of the the app the 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 phone app let's say your usage of that and your education your training and so on everything that is related to the contract so as long as you don't sell it let's say for example to other um other companies or other competitors but you have the freedom to let's say after let's say a year if you think that um you're not satisfied with our service with you so you you can you can definitely um leave and find another um another group or organization who can buy your your produce that's fine with us but like it's as long as you are part of our contract everything will be given uh, all those advantages will be yours and at the same time um our only wish is like you on the loyalty side you know uh you'll be with us our partner because we we want to call uh these people our partner farmers not just suppliers but partner farmers because um in that contract we don't just want to okay we buy it and then you receive the money that's it we want it to be uh something worthwhile that uh while in your while in the contract you get to experience uh the things that you need to know the specific trainings ideas knowledge so that for example if you decide to leave us uh from this contract you can start your own probably have your own uh company or maybe uh, with those knowledge with those um ideas that you got from us so uh that's how uh we want that to happen uh, and okay. of course trans transparency mm -hmm. on so, the amount right so the contract is between your company right uh -huh. hidden hidden mana farms and and the farmers themselves yes okay directly to the farmers no middlemen <laughs> no middlemen right and the idea is that because there's a contract framework there it, it should be more efficient and more transparent yeah. now it, within a con it, within a contract parties there should be some kind of equal some kind of equal play between both parties. So what you're yeah. so 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 what you're saying is you're going to do you buy products from them and in exchange you give them the training and and whatnot access yes, to we, okay uh huh we're okay. not just buying their produce but at the same time we're adding value to their lives of course and to the contract basically so it's because you know uh, all those other um let's say organizations or company basically when they do the contract farming that's mm -hmm. it okay it's stipulated in this contract that we will just buy this amount right we get this at this day yes and how often we buy it but after that nothing you know there's right. no relationship between the the supplier and the buyer so for me i i'm i'm really aware of what's happening to those uh organizations that are doing such as that but so to me, I wanted to be like more uh, connecting, you know, between the like what you what like what like what I said earlier. Uh, we want to call them partner farmers because they're not farmers. just farmers, but they are partners as well for this one. Uh, yeah, because I time, I imagine in a normal contract you would have say like some big supplier, you know, who'd say okay we're we need this much input by this much time and yeah. you have to deliver and they're major players you know and yeah. then you have these small farmers who are just kind of at behest at the whims of these bigger companies right exactly. but what you're exactly. saying is okay we're gonna buy 
this, that, or what have you. But in exchange, we're also, we're going to give you training. We're going to give you support. Yeah. We're going to give you education so you can add value to your product. So you're enhancing the, yeah. the, the, the supply chain. Okay, I get it. That's right. I understand. Mm -hmm. Interesting, very interesting concept. And I imagine what, I mean, because these farmers have been doing things a certain way for a very long time, do you have to yourself, your organization, spend a lot of time kind of, I guess, convincing them that this is a good idea to be in this contract with you? I mean, is it initially well received? What is that experience like, like initially approaching farmers? Uh huh. Well, actually, uh, from the project that we are planning, or basically we're focusing right now in that particular area uh, in, the, in the province, um, it was so surprising to know that these people are very open to that. Okay. So I thought, is this going to be like, oh no, I don't want that. I don't want anything about it. Maybe there is some, uh, you know, sinister <laughs> reasons behind that. But actually, no. Uh, when I started sharing it with them, they were like, oh, that's a good idea. Because at the same time, while let's say, for example, they say, I, we are selling to you our produce or we're providing to you our produce. At the same time, based from the knowledge that we get from the training, we can also side sell. Like, for example, other byproducts, like let's say... Um, they, they can uh, they can create um, certain products out of coconut shells and then if they wish if they wish to we can also buy that one and then sell it and export it so there's just like one middleman well you know going back to the middleman problem mm. um, we are not a part or we are not saying that we are not a middleman technically saying hidden mana farms is still a middleman right the, the only difference is that it's closer to the market, you know? Got it. And Got it's it. not just the local market, but the international market. So we, what we're trying to, yeah, on, on that side is that cut off that long, long That long. Of, and you're also opening yeah. up more international opportunities. And like you said, exactly. you understand, for example, you know, a Westerner coming from somewhere in Europe or Canada or the US, Australia, like you said, they're looking for, they're more interested in where did it come from? you know, and, yeah. and who, you know, they have that mindset, right? And that's something Correct. that you, you can actually explain yeah. and you can negotiate and you can get them to understand these types of things. You have the experience of working with data. There's a lot that you can give to them, whereas they would not be getting in, in the usual sort of yes. system that, that they currently have right now. So that's really interesting. And in terms of the, the technology, where are you with that now? I know you said you started that back in 2019. Is it like an app? that you're trying to is it an app or something that they a mobile technology how how is that going yeah it's basically an app joanne and okay right now well basically there is a prototype we started the prototype around 2019 2020 or during the height of the pandemic and uh currently we're still on the works uh when it comes to uh how to make it available in places that no wi-fi that, that mm -hmm. don't have wi-fi because we mm -hmm. want it to be like more exclusive and we don't want to just like put it available from the ios or the uh, or the play store or any kind of app store uh we just want it to be part actually of the contract itself so when you are part of hidden mana farms for example if you decide to um work with us uh, that's actually one of the things that you will be getting from us that's the exclusivity it's uh, for now uh, we're not really looking forward to really um, 
share it or sell it to to other people to be to be used because uh, uh, because of some things that we want to keep in private like for example within our, our community or within our uh, users only so right. uh, example the the features those things uh, we, we don't want that to publicize but more on uh, the exclusive use if you are under a contract if you're a farmer let's say for example mm-hmm. got it makes a lot of sense and i guess there's also you have to provide training once Correct. people uh, get the technology to make sure they understand how to use it and how it can benefit them there's a lot of of um sort of um training and onboarding a whole onboarding process that that has to go with this as well i imagine mm-hmm. exactly it's gonna be more on that but at the same time um based on the results or based on the uh the scenarios i it will really create or both quality uh, mm. the product itself or the produce itself and also the the requirement of the consumers um, in other countries when it comes to transparency where their food comes from right yeah and also on the side of the farmer more on the learning yeah so they're gonna benefit yeah yeah so I, I just having heard everything that you said I imagine your your big vision is you're trying to I guess empower and improve the lives yeah. of these small the smaller farmers the rural you farmers right yeah you yeah a lot of empowerment and and just trying to yeah. get them to to have more power in in the supply chain because right now they don't mm-hmm. yeah yes that's the reason why uh, i am so eager to mm. have this realized because uh, in our current scenario here in the philippines farmers are considered less you know, of course. Um, when when you compare farmer to uh, an office worker, people would always go to the office worker and say, "Oh, you're good, and uh, you're you're having a good job." But farmers, they're actually having the best job because we eat every day. Mm. But at the same time, they're not getting all those accolades that they need. And yeah, going back, um, just just to let you know, one of our um, uh, our our motto or our our tagline here in in hidden mana farms is opportunity for the farmers sustainability because we're um coconut is a very sustainable uh produce or plant so mm. you can use all of its parts from the leaves down to its roots so we want um a a lesser polluted environment and as much as possible use uh, all the resources or all the parts of the coconut in uh in as much as possible and use all of it and then uh reuse it so basically that's it and then advocacy advocacy in terms of we we want to educate our young people when it comes to agriculture because right now um uh, in our current education setup it's not especially in cities it's not really acknowledged so uh we, we want to set up like for example education or you get to have an experience uh when it comes to how how the farmers do a certain how they plant how is it processed and so on so we we want that we want that for our young generation so that in the future there will be more uh young people who will be engaging in agriculture so we want that okay so opportunity uh sustainability and advocacy you know the advocacy part is 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 tough because it's yeah. culture and it's mindset you know when you come from 
whatever we call it, third world, there's so many developing, global south, whatever it is, your parents are working so hard, you know, if you come from Mm -hmm. an average poor family, you know, your parents are working so hard to give you the best life Uh and you're like, oh, I want to be a farmer. No way. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not, it's not what parents want to hear. It's, it's, of course, Mm -hmm. they want their child to have the quote unquote office job, right? Because that's, Mm -hmm. they, they, there's a lot of anxiety. They grew up poor. They know what it's like to not have, and they want their children to have a better life. So there's a lot, I think that's the hardest part, the culture and the mindset around what is considered having a good job and a good career and so on and so forth. So yeah, that must be difficult, but you know, anything's possible. I think, again, this goes back to success stories. If they see other young people or people like yourself being successful, then they'll be like, "Mm, okay, maybe (laughs) maybe maybe this can be done okay so would you like to share with us any challenges that you I'm sure there are many but if you just want to like (laughs) focus on one and and just give us some of the key lessons generally that you've learned from those challenges or just from from building um your startup that would be awesome okay yeah uh, yeah, of course, uh, the main challenge we have right now is more uh, on the funding itself. Uh, yeah. Although we are bootstrapping and we're basically having the amount that, uh, although it's not yet the amount that we are targeting, but somehow with that amount that we have from our own um, pockets or from my own pocket, uh, I'm actually starting with uh, other things like, for example, the, the realization of the app itself. So. Uh, that's actually one funding. Uh, the second one, or the second challenge would be uh, uh, more on strengthening the app itself. Uh, I want it to be as accurate as possible. And uh, right now, it's not impossible because we are a data-driven uh, age. We're in a d- data-driven age right now. And mm. I believe that these uh, data will really help in, in, in inter- integrating everything that we need in the app itself. And we just need to like uh, make it more uh, useful when it comes to the, the users or the farmers. And that's the second challenge. And of course, um, uh, another challenge would be on um, promoting it. Because uh, although uh, more and more people are actually being aware of this one ever since uh, the pandemic started, uh, it's really actually a good uh, avenue for us to, to share it with everyone. But at yeah. the same time, we're really um, looking forward to really making it like an important thing. I mean, the, the, the agriculture sector itself. Although it's actually really good to know uh, so far that the, the responses coming from um, the young people are really actually quite um, surprising. Because uh, they keep on asking me, oh, what is this all about? What happens mm. when you... Uh, mixed technology with agriculture is that even possible so they have this they have this uh, questions in their mind and uh, i believe that from that um from that curiosity uh they, they will be able to understand better and of course um market this for sure in the future in in, in a more elaborative way um yeah so basically those are the challenges um on on our current uh, scenario here at Hidden Manor Farms. And yeah, the fact that there are only two of us right now. Right, the team, it's just you. Okay, I was going to ask you, how is it just you now or you and someone else, but it's two of you. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. we're working. We're, uh, I'm working with someone uh, who is my COO, uh, the mm. one who is the, doing more on the operations and other stuff as well. Uh, but our, our our positions are you know interchanging as well. So uh, we can be our CFO as well, the CTO. But uh, right now, everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. You know that that's the journey of a startup owner. For sure. I mean, uh, yeah, definitely. But yeah. Uh, key takeaways actually this is hard definitely hard if, if you ask mm, me I, i'm mm. not gonna lie joan it's really difficult to be honest especially it started with my own thoughts or my own ideas uh, initially and then i shared it with somebody and then this person agreed with me which is good and then um of course it, it's really tough to do everything and um put on different hats at the same time right and mm-hmm. then um att- attending attending investors meeting and then um discussing it in a pitch and and so on it's just making actually our lives very busy <laughs> and you know we have our own families to take care and have time with as well and uh yeah uh but at the same time even though it's difficult for me it's actually very fulfilling because this is something that i just realized many years ago i mean let's say way back 2017 i have just thought of this one in in uh during uh we uh, during my um um du- uh, du- in my office uh, during uh, my break time in my office and i started uh writing down all the thoughts all the ideas and then eventually uh 2017 2018 and then fast forward to 2022 here i am um although it's not yet that big or grand but step by step we're we're realizing all those things um eventually here in my room for example i have my own roadmap uh that i put uh on my bedside and then as i as i look at it uh all throughout those years all the things that i needed to do all throughout those years were all realized and so i i i thought okay so this is really going to happen and it's really going to happen so i just have to make sure that step by step i'm going to get there just you know slowly but surely getting there so i'm really confident i'm really confident about this one and the future of agriculture so definitely so step by step it's hard but every day along the way you just keep moving Yes, and there are things happening. There are things happening and realized. So yeah, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Apples! It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and to hear yeah. about everything that you're doing and about agriculture in the Philippines. It was a really, really eye-opening and insightful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joanne. It's it's a privilege, like what I said, to be part of this podcast. And um, I, I never thought that someone would really be so uh, interested as well, invested as well when it comes to agriculture. And uh, in my case, Joanne, uh, it's really it's really my job to share it as well with anyone who, who wants to hear about it, because it's actually part of our advocacy. And this is what we want to we want to realize thank you thank you for the opportunity as always yes it's my pleasure and before you go would you like to in case anybody wants to reach out to you give us like a website address or a contact email or anything uh, yeah um for if you want to wish to know more about hidden mana farms you can visit um 
well, it's still in the Wix site, but yeah, uh, we're, we're about to change in another website, but you can primarily visit um, hiddenmanafarms.com.ph uh, slash Wix site. And also, um, yeah, uh, you can find me in Instagram, uh, applesgarmai with, with my name. Uh, and also, if you want to talk with me or chat with me, we, I have WeChat. Uh, okay. Also, I have uh, Apple Apple Street. That's the the ID name and email. You can uh, send us an email and um, ask and know about anything about Hidden Mana Farms uh, by sending an email through hiddenmana77 at gmail.com. And Brilliant. I'll be happy. Awesome. Mm, and we'll put all of that in the show notes too. No worries. <laughs> all right. Okay. Thank you so much, Joanne. Okay. Thanks <laughs> it so much. It's a pleasure to uh, talk to you. It's really nice. Really nice to have you here to, uh, today. Okay. <laughs> Until next time, folks. Bye for now. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, visit the Rarebirds platform to learn and hear more from startups in emerging markets. Download our podcast episodes by visiting the website at www.rarebirdshq.com or via iTunes, Spotify, Google, Anchor, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Join our growing global community of rare ones by subscribing to our newsletter on our website and visit our shop to purchase some rare gear for yourself or as a gift for your friends. Thanks again for listening in. And until next time, rare ones, bye for now.